Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. Today's quote is by Seneca, travel and change of place impart new vigor to the mind. We have a wonderful guest for you today. Janice Lentz is an accomplished consultant and advocate across the hearing access, advocacy, and related political spectrum. She is the CEO of Hearing Access and Innovations, which is the leading company dedicated to helping the world's businesses, cultural and entertainment institutions, government agencies, and mass transit organizations improve their accessibility for people with hearing loss. She will graduate from Harvard's Kennedy School in 2023. She's also a travel consumer education writer, and she has traveled to 194 countries, territories, and unrecognized nations. She's going to be a pleasure, and I'm happy to introduce you to Janice. Welcome, Janice. How are you today? Very good. Thank you, Heather, for having me. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Now, you have such an interesting background and so many things that we could talk about. How about we start with kind of going back a little bit, if there's anything that you'd like to share about how you got to where you are or how you entered your field of work, I'd love to hear it. Well, I, I entered by happenstance. It wasn't like I woke up one morning and said, I'm going to be a change maker for people with hearing loss. Um, I had a daughter with a hearing loss who, when she was diagnosed, the doctor immediately said there were special schools for her. I didn't understand why age two and a half, the um, doctor was lowering the bar for her entire life Mm. and found it exasperating. Um, And so I decided that it was easier to change the world than to change um, my standard of how we were going to live our life. And so I entered it by happenstance. It wasn't... um, you know, so, and I've, and I've loved doing everything that I've done since. Yeah. Well, so there must've been so many different steps that you had to take. So would you like to share about that process or about what you're, what you're doing right now with it? So I started where, um, problems that impacted our family directly. Mm -hmm. So it started with my daughter um, not wanting to go to religious school because she couldn't hear. And I thought, it doesn't matter what religion you are. Kids have been trying to get out of religious school since the beginning of religion. (laughs) And um, this was not going to happen. And when I went to the school, they said, no worries, we could fix this. And I realized it was a making change wasn't necessarily complicated. What was hard was people just didn't know what people needed. And so if I educated them, I could affect change. And so I, I started with the places that impacted our family, but I realized that some of these projects did take a really long time. Um, for example, I worked to bring in um, something called an induction loop that helps a person with a hearing loss hear directly in their hearing aid or cochlear implant when they switch to the letter T. In, and with the New York City taxis, that took nine years. Mm. So I realized I had to move past the initial problems of our family and work on larger projects um, like transportation, because that would impact my daughter when she was older and these projects would take years. Um, And some really have, I mean, the Smithsonian, which I'm still working on 
it has taken 15 years and the access is still not in place. So I started moving into large systemic problems mm-hmm. because I felt they would have like a domino effect and impact change across the board. And that's what I work on now. Um, more so than, you know, each little place I work on, um, problems where I think there's going to be a large domino effect. I love that. Now, you know, I'd love to just dive a little bit deeper into, you know, your work with mass transit organizations, because I think that can have a significant impact on people to help them to be able to access and and move different places and be able to, to do what they have to do. So tell me about that. How did, how does that work? Have you been able to make some headway there? Yes, um, significant headway. Um, And what's really interesting is, again, it's people don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. So um, I travel, as you mentioned, extensively. And I've been to 194 countries, territories, and unrecognized nations. And when I'm traveling, I'm tracking global best practices of what exists in other countries. And I photograph the access. Mm. And, of, and I'm also friends with a ton of people who um, travel extensively. And when they see the signs, they now send me the signs, which is phenomenal because you, nobody can be in one place. So it's really been this incredible group of people who are constantly forwarding the um, access signs or specifically induction loop signs. And so from that, I have been able to then approach people Um, who are decision makers, such as Richard Branson, when a friend invited me to Davos, and I was able to meet him, I asked if, knowing he had dyslexia, if he could um, add captions to in-flight entertainment, Mm. that it would benefit not only people with hearing loss, but I, who don't have hearing loss, can't hear over the engine noise, and would raise the volume on my monitor, potentially damaging my own hearing, because I couldn't hear the movie. And so he and his team agreed. And then I used that to leverage a change with Delta, who also agreed, and then submitted um, comments to the Department, U.S. Department of Transportation, showing that not only did Virgin Atlantic agree to add it to their new monitors, but so did Delta. And could the DOT now mandate this for all flights? And they did. And they mandated it for all flights emanating or departing the U.S. I also submitted um, comments about adding induction loops to airports and and submitted these photographs documenting the induction loops in other countries from Russia to Turkey to Hong Kong and saying, why isn't it in the United States if it is in all these countries? Mm. And I haven't received a response to that, but in the interim, I worked with Delta who added um, induction loops to their new airports. And I'm noticing that other airlines are following suit. So in Rochester, United and JetBlue did, in Seattle, Alaska Airlines, and I don't remember which other airline added in in Seattle. And partner airlines like Air France is adding, um, you know, part of the, you know, the SkyTeam Alliance partners are adding the access. So even without it potentially being mandated, the ripple effect is happening. And now there's enough changes that it's really hard for an airline to say that they can't edit and it can't be part of it. And so part of that is just um, finding little areas to work on Mm -hmm. to have big impact. I love that. I think that's so important. Now, 
you know, I, I hearing what you said about getting the having the conversation with Richard Branson, and then how that you you took what he did to Delta and to other places, and I think that does make a significant impact. So, how do you how can people reach some of these high powered people that can make an impact if they're passionate about something? Right. I mean, not everyone. I mean, I, I had gotten lucky, and I'd love to return to Davos, but getting to Davos is not so simple. But sending an email to a CEO is rather simple. Most people are on the internet um, by Googling their name. You can find various websites that have people's information. They have free trial periods, sometimes PDFs. People forget to redact, and the information is on PDFs. And it's not so complicated um, to reach people. That's amazing. It seems the hardest part is not getting their email address. Um, it's, it's not being afraid to reach out to someone. And, and I have this philosophy that everybody is the same, whether you're the janitor or the CEO, and I treat every single person exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, some people feel like the person is above their pay grade. I don't view it that way. And I'm not sure why other people really do, but you have to get over that hurdle of reaching out to someone. And it used to be, there would be gatekeepers, you know, if you called the office and there'd be, quote, a secretary who would prevent you from reaching someone. But now with the Internet, you can email everybody. I regularly do, even with everyday problems, because I get so tired of being sent offshore to people who just say no. I don't have time to waste um, on, on nonsense problems where I know I, that there's a mistake and I'm correct. And so I regularly reach out to CEOs. And I will reach out to heads of state. Forbes profiled me in an article where I reached out to the Queen of England because the access sign in Buckingham Palace on the tour was incorrect. And and um, what was the response to that? Um, I received a lovely letter from her, I believe, lady in waiting. Mm -hmm. And they corrected the sign. I mean, I don't personally think the Queen corrected the sign, but (laughs) and. Somebody then called me from the Royal International Advisory Committee and asked if I'd like to join. And I said, yes, although they've never asked me to do anything. It it just showed that everybody is reachable. And I have reached out over and over to prime ministers or presidents and received responses. And it's really made a very big difference because when a president or prime minister asks someone to respond, people tend to respond. You know, I, I totally agree with you. And and I'm one of I'm in alignment with you where I've always felt that you treat everyone the same. And I have gotten a lot of headway by reaching out to people if I admired their work and even just wanted to learn from them. A lot of people are very open. And in with a lot of people in transition, I want you listeners to remember this applies when you're looking for, for work as well, that you need to do your networking in with that same fearless uh, passion. And speaking of passion, if people have something that they are very passionate about and they want to affect change in addition to releasing this fear and and reaching out to these high powered people what are some other ideas that you have that can help them if they want to make change well one follow through i am shocked how many people do not follow through and i see it myself people will ask me for help i i never hear from them again i'm like they say they're going to do it and they don't mm-hmm. and I never give up. 
So I consistently will reach out and, you know, people have a lot of priorities and they need to see that you are going to be there to make it a priority for them. And and sometimes they just want you to go away. I mean, I definitely work with, um, there was a story in the New York Times that told the former director of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, Philippe de Montebello, he just wanted to get rid of projects. And so... (laughs) I, I, you know, and, and if someone kept pestering him, he would just do it just to make it go away. So I, I called every week to the point where his assistant and I knew each other's names and, and she would say, hello. She recognized my voice. This hey, before, you know, yeah. Right. And I called, but the mat added the access and it was wonderful. And sometimes, you know, it's understanding that, but I will tell you going to back to the other point. I learned a valuable lesson from Bob Woodward. Um, he happened to be staying at the same hotel I was staying at in the Atacama Desert in Chile. And he was, of course, an absolute hero of mine. And I wanted to approach him. And then everyone, you know, was, of course, because he's on vacation, giving him their, you know, distance, not to bother him, not me. I had questions. And so I approached him and he asked me to join him for breakfast which was just amazing. And I got, I had the opportunity to speak with him for an hour. What's unbelievable is, and he ended the conversation because I had to leave to go on a tour, which killed me. But he said, you know, when you said approached me, you probably thought you were going to ask me for help. But in the end, I ended up helping him because he, unbeknownst to me, had a hearing loss. And I was able to direct him and provide him information about hearing aids and where to go. Uh-huh. That would be helpful to him. And he followed through and he did go again, follow through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I was help- he was going to help me. But I think most of the time people don't realize that if you have, are, are solving a problem, you are solving a problem for the other person they may not know they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you are actually benefiting them. So if you view yourself as not taking from them, but helping them, it changes the dynamic. And also it removes you from being, quote, fangirl. <laughs> Tell me about that. So, you know, you don't want to be, I think it's really important to not feel like you're fangirl, because if you are, or fanboy, you know, where you are like practically kissing their shoes, like, oh my God, you're the greatest thing. That's just weird and awkward. But <laughs> everyone, right, it's just like uh, uh, cringeworthy. And but if you are speaking to the person as an equal and and it concretely explaining what your problem is and how and giving them a solution, so it's not a rant. Mm-hmm. That's another um, intent in terms of follow through. I think it's really important to not just rant and just whine. Nobody wants to deal. I I mean, I tell my children, please do not just whine. Give me a solution. Tell me what is it you need from me? What do you want me to do? And when you go to somebody with a solution, it's much more likely to be implemented because you're providing an easy solution. Uh, This is so important for everyone to recognize. It's the biggest issue that comes up on Teams is everybody's bringing the problems, the challenges to the table. And when I facilitate discussions, it's you, you can't bring the problem up unless you have a potential solution or an idea, an inkling of something. And this way it gets people shifting their attention to being able to solve. I love that. Now, in addition to overcoming fear and following through, um, 
do you think that there's anything else that causes some people to be unable to get things done? I think they bite off too much. So you can't just say, I'm going to change, you know, like, well, I said, I wanted to change the world. I started off with bite-sized chunks. Mm -hmm. The world's really big, (laughs) like really big. And having traveled half of it, uh, it's big. So you have to start with little, small, easy, low-hanging fruit is an overused term, but it is accurate. Mm -hmm. Start with the items you can solve. And then if you work, for example, um, it used to be that sometimes captioned videos in a museum were captioned by the History Channel. And the museums didn't even know it. And so when they found out that History Channel regularly and automatically captioned every single video that all they had to do is put up the sign Mm -hmm. and either keep it open caption, meaning it was visible, the captions all the time, or put a CC in a way to activate the captions easily with closed captions because the captions were there. That was a really simple solution. So by telling them that simple thing they could do, I got buy-in from that. And then they're like, they were happy with that. They're like, oh, wow. And now I would say, put that information on your website because you might as well tell, inform people what you have. So they would do that. And they were like, wow, we're getting positive feedback from this. What else can we do? Yeah. So it's easy to get buy-in from people when you can solve simple problems, you can, you can give them simple successes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So starting small and then adding on from there. I like that a lot. I think that can be really helpful for people. Now you seem pretty fearless, Janice, but has there been a challenge or a fear in your life that you have overcome and learned from that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Oh, this is going to sound very funny, but I was afraid of traveling by myself. (laughs) Well, I guess you overcame that. (laughs) Overcame that because I had really not ever traveled except for one trip post-college by myself. And when I got divorced, I was terrified, like beyond terrified. I remember there was one time during our marriage where I had to go to Milan, Italy by myself. And I was beyond terrified, which is crazy. Now in hindsight, like what was wrong with me? But I realized when I got divorced that I no longer had a travel partner if I wasn't with my children Mm -hmm. and I didn't always have them. So I had to figure out how to solve this. So what I did was I, I took just the same, like little pebbles. um, And I built it the same way. I just explained, like you take on small challenges. So I first went on a very over-organized trip by a company Mm -hmm. um, that was a, a private trip. And I did that. And I was like, okay. And then I realized like all the ways I could, and I learned how I could do this myself for significantly less money. So then the next trip after that, I did to a specific city to Buenos Aires, which it's much easier to go to one city than to do a, you know, a, a a multi-hop across countries trip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, someone had recommended, you know, use the concierge in, in the hotel to help plan your activities and you could save a lot of money. I was like, great. I did that. And each trip I added, I I made it a little more like a small challenge, not something complicated, but just something where I was pushing my boundaries a little bit um, of where I would go and how I would do and take on until the point 
where the next thing I know, I'm going to Eritrea or Somaliland by myself. And it didn't even seem frightening to me because I had the tools that I had developed all these years of incrementally increasing the challenges. Wow. You know, and that's, that's the same thing that you're talking about, about helping people who are finding it, that they're not able to get things done is that they're taking the small steps. The same thing with your learning new skills, the same thing when you're breaking through a fear. I love this. There's this theme. And it's like when I speak about um, expanding your comfort zone, it's like building a muscle, right? So you don't just immediately go out and run a marathon. You have to walk around the block a few times and then start to jog and then start to run. So this is a a great strategy that can translate for anyone listening to whatever is going on in their world. I love that. Now you have a secret sauce technique or more than one. Can you, can you share this with us, please? Well, I think one of um, my secret sauce techniques, you mean for travel or for, um, I don't know. I didn't know how many you had. (laughs) <laughs> well, I had quite a few. So, I mean, one of my, my things that I do do is that I, I reach out to top players. I also keep a phone log. Um, and one of the things I think most people, when they're following through, they don't remember who in the world they spoke to last time, how to reach the person they last spoke to. And I did this um, because I have definite memory issues. So when I start a project, I create a page for that project. And with the key contact people at the top of the page, then to the left, I put the date where I'm speaking to someone, who I'm speaking to, their contact information, and a summary of the call and any specific quotes or outcomes that came from the conversation. Mm -hmm. And then I use various colors like bolding for contact details so I can easily find it the next call, red if there's a follow-up, or um, a different color if something I need to stand out. And... I maintain these, what I call phone logs and use them. So the next time I call, I know exactly who I spoke to. And if it's the same person, like the person, like I mentioned at the mat, I remember the person's name. Mm -hmm. I remember when I spoke to them. I remember what they said they would do and what I was supposed to do and what the next step was. When people realize you're keeping track, they follow up. Mm-hmm. because you know, they know you do, they, they know you have the dates, right? It's like when you call a sales representative, right? Like you call and you have a problem with the store and they say, well, who would you speak to? We never know who they are. They know because they have a computer. And I realized if it was good enough for them, it was good enough for me yeah. that they were keeping track of me. Why was I not keeping track of them? <laughs> right. right? And, and like my bank always seems to know the last time I spoke, I'm like, well, really good news, news to me. So I decided to start tracking them. So on one particular, well, I've I've used this phone log extensively. And when I couldn't add the access to Ellis Island and I was exasperated because my daughter was going on a school trip, I sent a copy of the phone log to the then Secretary Norton of the Secretary of the Interior. And at that point, my phone log was 17 pages. Mm -hmm. And I said, In my email, I didn't think there was another mother in the United States who had tried so hard to make any national park accessible for their child. And what more did they think I should be doing since I had meetings, phone calls, presentations, traveled to Harper's Ferry, 
um, where they build their exhibitions. I, I really didn't know who else or what more I could do. I heard through the grapevine, the Secretary of Interior was appalled when he saw the extensive phone log. This <laughs> was very extensive, like, you know, with the color coding. You remember the color coding, it's a whole new <laughs> level to it. And we, I ended up, um, received a phone call. Would I help the national parks write guidelines for um, the national oh, parks to implement this? And I ended up working with um, John Jarvis, who later became the director of the national parks. And it was an incredible experience. Ellis Island ultimately became accessible and the problem was solved. Sadly, after my daughter's school trip, but the problem is solved. Mm -hmm. And the, that is just something that is so simple and so helpful and solves problems. Uh, okay, I'm gonna tell you that I'm, I'm actually going to steal this one because <laughs> I, uh, I, I used to have the most incredible memory. I could walk into a room where I was presenting, get everyone's name once and be able to, to know it and recite it back and remember it the next day. I can't do that anymore. So I definitely am going to take your phone log technique, your, your secret sauce technique, and I'm going to start implementing it. I think it would be incredibly helpful. So I appreciate that for me personally, and I'm sure some of our listeners are out there making note of that. You know, I'm also certain that there's someone out there who's thinking, oh, you know what? I want to help Janice in her cause. I think that I can help her get access into a particular um, institution or agency. So can you please share for everyone how they can reach you? If there's anything that you really want people to know about, uh, we'd love to hear that. Well, thank you. Um, yes, I'd love to be have anyone who wants to help. I appreciate it. So I have two websites. I have um, my consulting website, hearingaccess.com, and my advocacy website, Janice, J-A-N-I-C-E, Lintz, L-I-N-T-Z.com. And both have contact information there. I'm also on LinkedIn. And you know, one of the things that I really need the most help on, besides, of course, contacts in any organization or government agency, is photos of these induction loop symbols showing the context of where the sign is. Mm -hmm. And you can see under JaniceLintz.com under tools to use, if you look at any of my um, comment submissions to government agencies, you'll see photos of examples and where you see the sign, but you can tell where that sign is. Like it's on a taxi, it's on a subway information booth. Mm -hmm. And if you see those symbols anywhere, the ear with the little T, take a photo, send it to me, tell me where it is. I really appreciate it. Wow. What a great and simple way to contribute. I love that. So we'll make sure that all of these links get put into the show notes as well to make it nice and easy for everyone. So this 30 minutes has flown by. It's time for you to share your final parting words of wisdom with us, Janice. You know, you can... It, you start with a no, and it can always turn in, only turn into a yes if you try. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you're still stuck with the same no. So you might as well try. <laughs> That's right. I love that. That's fantastic. Well, I have definitely enjoyed and appreciated your time with us today. Listeners, if you love this, share it with a friend. We'll see you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>